Today's scripture reading is Matthew 6, 14, and 15. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Matthew 6, 14, and 15. This is the word of the God, of the Lord. Thank you, Heather. Please be seated. We continue in our series on prayer, and today we're going to uh, deal with a very difficult statement that Jesus made about prayer and about uh, the ability to forgive others. Um, the, the whole concept of prayer is, as we've seen, proper ways, proper principles, proper patterns to pray, uh, as we spent time last week looking at that. And today we come to this uh, really difficult saying, but in the context of the passage, uh, it really relates to uh, this subject that is so important, so vital, so significant for the kingdom. And, and that is we have access to pray to God. We can bring before Him our requests, our petitions, our supplications. And, and, and the question that, that often arises in our hearts and minds is, God, why don't you answer us more often? Or, God, maybe why don't you answer us the way we want you to answer us? Uh, I don't know about you, but, but I've, I've struggled with that over the years as we've prayed uh, for this or that, and, and uh, we've heard God at times. We haven't heard Him at others. And, and so often I wonder, uh, am I praying in a proper way? Uh, is something wrong in my life that is hampering or impeding my prayer? And, and so that brings us to the text today. And I just wonder if maybe some of you have struggled with some of the same things. You, you wonder uh, uh, why do your prayers seemingly just bounce off the ceiling and uh, there isn't a real answer. Uh, maybe you uh, get so weary of praying and uh, so disheartened that you give up. I, I think those are all experiences that most of us can identify with in one way or another. You know, there's a, a lot of things we could say about prayer in general and and we could get into the theological working of God and why he answers, why he doesn't, you know. And we could talk about the fact that he answers yes sometimes. And sometimes he says wait and at other times he says uh, no. And we could spend a, a whole sermon or two probably on that subject. But today, because of the context of the text and the issue of sinfulness that what Jesus said brings out, I, I really want to deal with us and any impediments in our lives that may interfere with prayer. And so with that, uh, understand first and foremost, God loves us, God cares for us, nothing is more clearly explained in that in all of the gospel and in the, in the cross of Christ. He cares, He loves us, and, and may we never doubt that, may we never turn away from that, and, and may we come to Him in gratefulness and, and thanksgiving for who He is and all that He's done, and, and learn to pray in a manner that pleases Him and uh, advances uh, uh, the gospel in our lives and in the world. So with that, let's turn to the passage that Heather just wrote, uh, read, uh, and, and let me just reread it for us. It's short, it's significant. And, and remember, Jesus uh, had just uh, indicated this or talked about this in the prayer, uh, the, the perfect prayer, when he said, and forgive us our debts as we forgive those uh, uh, whom we have debts against. So here he says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you. As I've said, this goes right back to his teaching in verse uh, <clears throat> uh, of the previous perfect prayer. 
uh, where we're called to forgive our debtors. In that prayer, when Jesus was teaching that, there was an expectation that we would forgive. Forgive us as we have forgiven. So it is God's will, it is God's plan, it is God's purpose that when we come to Him prayerfully, we would come to Him with hearts that are not embittered or resentful or struggling with uh, sin others have committed to us. So with that background, we come to these words, and the first half, uh, the first verse, we don't have a problem with. If you forgive others their trespasses, your Heavenly Father will, for, will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you. What God says here in, in Jesus in bold terms is that <clears throat> when we come to Him uh, with a heart that has harbored bitterness or resentment or, or is unforgiving toward others, don't plan on God hearing your prayer or answering your prayer. This is heavy-duty stuff because we want our prayers answered. God wants to answer our prayers. He loves us. He cares for us. But when we approach the throne of grace and mercy with bitterness and resentment in our lives, don't expect for them to be answered. Uh, understand, too, as well, this isn't about salvation. That's all the finished work of Christ. Uh, it's not dependent on us in any way. This is about our life as living a Christian, living in a, a way that uh, exalts God. It's continually a life of reflecting on our own sinfulness, repenting of that, confessing it to the Lord that we keep our fellowship, our relationship uh, here on this earth, our, our fellowship pure with Him. He, he, our relationship with Him is always secure because it's based in the finished, perfect work of Christ. Our fellowship here on earth can be tainted by our sinfulness. And what Jesus is saying to us, I believe, is that if we're ready to accept the mercy of God, but unwilling to extend that to others, there's something wrong with us. We're uh, living in a great sin, and uh, it's an offense to God, honestly. Uh, I, I want you to understand it this way. When, when someone does something to hurt us, it could be a very significant thing. It could hurt us deeply. And what our tendency is, is to magnify that sin against us uh, and make it enormous. So, so devastating and overwhelming in our lives that we can think of little else. Sometimes that happens to us. And when we magnify it to that degree, we forget, we look past, we don't realize how significant our sin against God is. We, uh, and, and Jesus taught a parable about this in Matthew 18, about the fact that when we come to God, we have millions of sins for which to seek forgiveness for, and He grants it readily, quickly, easily because of the shed perfect work of Christ. But if we harbor this unforgiveness toward others, we're not living in and showing the mercy God wants us to live in and show others. If we don't forgive others, we are in fact minimizing the work of our forgiveness. We're minimizing the work of Christ. We're making it less than it was intended to be. And, and let me say this too. I don't know of one other issue in the Bible where God says, if you don't do this, I won't do that. If you don't forgive, I won't forgive you. He never says that about love or giving peace or joy. He says it, though, about forgiveness because he understands how deeply we need to be forgiving toward those who have offended us, hurt us, sinned against us. So it's all about our willingness to extend forgiveness in the same way, manner that we have been given forgiveness by God. Remember these words, Paul uh, really said it well in Ephesians chapter 
4.32. He said, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as Christ Jesus forgave you. We're to forgive in the same manner that we have been forgiven. And that's at the heart of this whole issue. Jesus said it a different way in Mark eleven twenty five. 25. He says there, and when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, that's pretty all-inclusive, anything, anyone, forgive him so that your Father in heaven will forgive you your sins. This is the idea. We need to amplify the grace and mercy of God in our lives toward us and then extend uh, forgiveness to anyone for any reason who has sinned against us. If you're content to live with bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness toward another, then this is the bottom line. Be ready to live with unanswered prayer. That's the message. It's that significant. It's that important. God doesn't want us to, to, to be overflowing with bitterness and resentment and angry and unhappy and and, and that's what harboring these things do in our lives. Understand, this is not addressed to unbelievers. It's addressed to us as believers. Peter <laughs> had to learn this lesson uh, very uh, profoundly. He went to Jesus, and, and he understood he needed to forgive his brother, but he said this, uh, Lord, uh, well, l- let me just read the passage. He says, Lord, how often... Will my brother sin against me and I forgive him as many as seven times? See, he thought he was pretty magnanimous. If he would forgive his brother seven times, that was a big deal. And Jesus said to him, no. No, Peter. If your brother sins against you in the same way, 70 times seven, 490 times forgive him. Because you've had mercy poured out into your life. Pour out mercy and forgiveness to those who sin against you. The reality of all this comes down to this. God wants us to have victory over bitterness and resentment and hatred in our lives. We, we all know, even believers who harbor that against other believers. And, and when they do that, they literally uh, impede, they, they hamper their ability to pray faithfully. So don't, don't make excuses for your bitterness and your unforgiveness on the grounds that that whoever hurt you, sinned against you, did some terrible thing to you, uh, they don't deserve God's forgiveness. You do, but they don't. That doesn't fly with God. Forgive. Approach Him with a heart that is free from any bitterness or resentment. If you're going to God in prayer and and you remember there's someone that, that you need to forgive, forgive them on the spot. And when you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive them. If you don't do that, don't don't waste your time praying. That's essentially what this teaches us. Not only is it uh, the sin of unforgiveness that kind of hampers our, not kind of, does hamper our our relational uh, uh, prayer life with God, but also our personal sin if we harbor sin in our life. If we have some secret sin or, or some unrelenting sin that we have not found that the Spirit's power to overcome, it will hamper our prayer life. Back in the Old Testament, there was a time when Isaiah wrote these words and he said, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, 
nor his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. What had happened was that the people to whom Isaiah ministered had believed God used to answer prayer all the time. He answered it in Ezekiel's day. Why doesn't he answer it in our day? Has God changed? Is his arm too weak that he can't deliver? Are his ears old and, and, and not able to hear any longer? And Isaiah comes back to them and says simply this, the problem isn't with God. He does not change. The problem is with you. You are harboring unconfessed sin in your life. You have chosen not to seek His forgiveness. Understand, God wants us and invites us to seek forgiveness for our sin. If we, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's why Jesus came to die, that we could be cleansed from this. So why harbor it? You know, if we accuse God of not answering our prayer when we harbor sin in our heart, we're kind of committing a double sin against God. We're indicting Him for not hearing when the fault is ours. So there is responsibility on our part. There are conditions and, and, and God's plan to pray in a proper way to Him. Understand that, that, that God, uh, God turns away from uh, those who are phony in prayer or even in worship. Listen to these words. These are, these are uh, startling. Again, Isaiah chapter 1. Bring no more offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moons and Sabbaths and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. This is God speaking. These aren't words I wrote. God says He hates empty, meaningless uh, ritual, uh, uh, sinful ritual, hip hypocritical ritual. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Th these are His words. We don't speak about the fact that God hates many things, but this is one thing He hates, is hypocrisy in prayer and worship. We need to come with Him with a pure heart, a, a heart that, that seeks nothing but His glory, His honor, and His praise, and, and, and a life that desires in every way to further and fulfill His work and His uh, service in the kingdom. That's what He wants. We're wasting our time, literally, if we seek to pray with those kinds of attitudes and sinful conditions in our lives. He even told this to Jeremiah. This is startling, Jeremiah 7, 16. He told Jeremiah, don't pray for those people because they were enmeshed and overrun with sin. As for you, do not pray for this people or lift up a cry or prayer for them and do not intercede with me for I will not hear you. God wants us to come to Him with a pure heart, a heart that's cleaned by confession, a, a heart that understands He's a holy God. We, when we enter His presence in this intimate time of prayer, we need to enter it uh, taking care that we're right spiritually before the Father. We don't have to be perfect, but we, we can't just allow sin to overrun our lives in this way. We must be careful in this area. If we confess our sins, He's faithful. He will forgive us. 
A third thing that can interfere is marital sin. Peter, in his first book, writes in chapter 3, verse 1, and then in 7, Likewise, wives, be subjected to your own husbands. This is getting personal now. It's getting real personal. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel, <clears throat> since they are heirs with you in the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. The marriage relationship is the most significant human relationship on the planet. And it needs to be treated with all the instruction and leading and empowering of the Spirit of God that it would be free of sin and bitterness and resentment. It needs to be the place where we are the most uh, sanctified and holy before God. That's why God put us in relationships, because especially this one, it's going to show our sin real quick. It's going to show our selfishness right away. And the issue is, what do we do with that? Do we just harbor it? Do we live with it? Do, do we react in a negative way with it? Or do we confess it and trust the empowerment of the Spirit of God to bring transformation in our lives? God's promised He'll work in us to will and do. When we recognize sinful patterns and tendencies in our marriage, God, through His Spirit, will empower us to turn away from them. And then God will delight in our prayers. Women, by nature... Uh, you're given over to wanting to rule. Men, by nature, you want to go out and make your mark in the world, so you don't care a lot about home. These are generalizations, but, but the reality is this can become a vicious cycle in marriage. The more the man is absent from the home, the more he's detached from being a godly father and a supporting, loving, caring, nurturing husband, the more the wife can become angry and dissatisfied and discontent and can try to take over and rule things, run things. And the result is a very dysfunctional marriage. And, and that cycle can even draw people further and further apart. Many times, marriages end in divorce. But look at your marriage. When you come to pray, God, make, make, ask, ask God, help me to make sure my relationship with my wife or my husband is pure and holy before you, before I ever utter one word of prayer. Because this, the word of God says, your prayer will be hindered. Another area that's problematic in, in prayer is selfish motivations. James uh, chapter 4, 3 says this, You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You know, a couple weeks ago I asked God for a brand new shiny black Mercedes, and guess what? I didn't get it. <laughs> now, I didn't do that, but literally sometimes that's an exaggeration, but we go to God wanting things to feed the flesh, to make us happier and more contented in this world to place the gift over the giver. And we pray to that end at times. We're all selfish. I know that. I am. Maybe you aren't, but I am. And, and I, I want these kinds of things. And, and, and the reality is God will not answer a prayer like that that is fostered out of my selfish ambitions, my fleshly desires. And, and we'll talk about some of the positive things, but, but uh, if, if we live in that way, if we desire above all things the gratification of our flesh and our earthly desires, uh, we will have a difficult prayer life in terms of seeing God answer those. Do not place the things of this world, the gifts of this world, over the giver of this world. You know, when, when we come to pray, I just want to encourage you to keep these four things in mind. Make sure there's no bitterness or resentment or unforgiveness in your life toward anyone. Make sure that there's no personal sin in your life that you're flaunting in the face of our holy God. 
Maybe it is bitterness. Maybe it is resentment. I don't know. But, but make sure that you're clean before God. Make sure your marriage relationship, every relationship is pure before Him, especially your marriage. And come with a heart that seeks His will. We're going to talk about that now rather than your own fleshly desires or longings. R.A. Torrey said it this way, All of God's answering our prayers is upon the basis of God dealing with us as forgiven sinners. And God cannot deal with us as forgiven sinners while we are not forgiving those who have wronged us. Anyone who is nursing a grudge against another has closed the ears of God against his own petitions. It's a high price to pay for harboring bitterness, resentment, or sin in our lives. Well, let's look at some building blocks. Those are barriers. These are building blocks. What are some things that uh, proactively we can em empower and put in place in our lives? The first is to pray in God's will. Uh, Jesus introduced that in the prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. John, the apostle, wrote this in 1 John 5. And this is the conf confidence we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. When we ask according to the will, there's two promises in his, this passage. One, he hears us, and number two, he will give us what we request if it's in line with the will of God. What a promise! You want an answer to prayer? Pray the will of God. But then there, that's the problem, <laughs> praying the will of God. Yeah, that's the hard part. Yeah. But the, the, the promises that, that God has for us in this, just pray according to His will. Understand, is there anything in this life we want more than the will of God? Can anybody tell me what uh, Romans 12, 2 says about the will of God? It's at the very end of the sentence. Do not be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve God's blank, blank, blank. Good, acceptable, and perfect will. That's what God's will is. Is there anything else we want in our life than the will of God? It's perfect. It's good. It's pleasing. It's acceptable. You know, we should, and this is a challenge. Are we willing to just, God, your will be done in my life. Are we willing to do that without knowing what his will is? That's the problem. God, I want to know what your will is before I pray for it. God, I want to see if your will lines up with my will for myself. You ever thought that way? I have. God, I'm, I'm all about having your will in my life so long as it accords with my will. When I think that way, especially if I pray that way, I'm in big trouble. Because that says I'm not willing to accept the will of God, which is good, it's acceptable, and it's perfect. God loves us. God wants the best for us. God is leading and guiding us if we'll follow Him through the Spirit to the best possible life we could ever have. We don't always understand that. We are not always prepared to take those steps. But God's will is for that end, good, acceptable, and pleasing. But it is a challenge nonetheless. But let's look to the supreme example of that Jesus. He told us in this prayer, your will be done. 
But he also lived that out in his life. In Matthew 26, 39, it says, And going on a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Do you know, there's two things I want you to remember about that statement. Number one, your salvation depended upon Jesus Christ being willing to yield his life to the will of God, period. If it was another way, as the Jews had hoped and many do in our day, if I could earn my favor with God by what I do, how I live, then I don't need Jesus. And the answer to this question is, you can't do that. All have sinned, all fall short. Without Christ and his death to cover our sin, we are forever condemned to hell. That's the simple truth of the gospel. Jesus obediently and willingly surrendered his life to the will of the Father. But I also want you to remember there was no greater suffering in the history of this universe than what he faced that day. When he went to the cross, he took upon himself the punishment and the penalty for every sin ever committed or ever would be committed. Every sin, he bore the penalty of that. And yet he said, what? Believing the will of God, he said, not your will, or not my will, but your will be done, O oh God. He is our example. He is our model. With that in mind, we, we've got to come to this place where we're desirous, we're, we're longing for, we're hungering for the will of God in our lives. If we want to know what that is, and we want to adjust God's will to our will, that isn't his will. That's our will. That is not living the way he wants us to. We should just want it no matter what it is, his good, his acceptable, and his pleasing will. God's purpose in all of this is to, through prayer, guide us into understanding his will, accepting and being empowered in his will. I just want to give you one quick example. Uh, but before I get there, I just want to remind the greatest prayer we could ever pray before God is, God, your will be done. That's the greatest prayer we can pray. An example of this came when Jesus called out the disciples and he told them, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask in the Father's, ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. John 15, 16. Jesus called out the disciples and he calls us out. He chose us. He chose us to what? Further the will of God through bearing fruit, reaching people with the gospel, manifesting the fruit of the Spirit so that the glory of God, the light of God's message would be received in the world. And then he goes on to say, and anything you ask of my Father will be given you. Anything to the end that it furthers that mission, that work in the world to honor, glorify God and bring people to himself, God will answer. That honors him. So go with that, that confidence, believing that that we can accomplish his mission. A second thing we need to bear in mind is that we need to pray in Jesus' name. Now, this isn't just a little statement we put at the end, da-da-da-da-da, and in Jesus' name we pray this, uh, hoping for the Mercedes or the new house or whatever it is, the new job. When we pray in Jesus' name, 
what ought to overarch our, our thoughts, our hearts, our mind is, will this prayer bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ? He came for one reason, to bring honor and glory to the Father through His mission and work in this world. And so the, the prayer, the outpouring of prayer in our lives would be to further bring honor and glory to Christ and to uphold His name before those who don't believe and, and to uphold His name before those who do, do and need encouragement to pray in His name. He said this in John 16, Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, He will give it to you. That's if we ask for His honor and glory. Until now, you've not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be full. Ask in Jesus' name for His honor, for His glory, for the furtherance of His work in the kingdom. A third thing we can focus on is praying in the Spirit. Ephesians uh, 6, 8, 18, at the end of the, the uh, chapter where we talk about putting on spiritual armor, this is how Paul encourages us to pray, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. You see, we need to understand that we're in a war. We're in a spiritual battle for the kingdom of God. God will win, but, but we have a part in that. We're soldiers in His army. We're to advance His cause and His kingdom in this world as God enables and empowers us to follow Christ, to proclaim Christ, to live for Christ. And we can't do that in and of ourselves. This is a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual dependent operation. I need the Spirit of God to even understand this. I need the Spirit to empower me to do that. And, and, and we're promised that. He works in us to will and do through the Spirit and His Word. So pray in the Spirit. Jude says this in chapter uh, 1, verse 20, or verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8, 26 talks about praying in the Spirit that He might intercede for us. There's times I honestly don't know how to pray. I shared in first service, there's a situation in, in our life right now that, that I do not know how to pray for this situation. So often I just, God, your will be done. I, I pray your name would be honored, that you would be glorified through whatever transpires there. But God... Uh, I, I need the Spirit to intercede, to, to be more specific. I don't know. I'm clueless about these things. And that's why the Spirit works in us so powerfully. The Spirit is vital to our prayers. This passage says, at all times, in all prayer and supplication, in all perseverance for all the saints, the Spirit is vital. The Spirit leads us and guides us in prayer. Behold, Jesus said, I give you authority over the powers of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. This is the power we have through the Spirit. Thinking about the, uh, <clears throat> the will of God and prayer in this way, praying the Spirit, praying Jesus' name. There's a story of this little girl who was praying one night in her room before bed, and her father was standing at the door listening, and, and he heard her recite the alphabet, A, B, C. And after she finished, he, he went in and, and he said, Honey, uh, why were you just reciting the alphabet? And she said to her father, well, Daddy, I didn't know what to pray today, so I just prayed the letters to God and allow Him to put them together however He wants. That is so sweet. It's so where my heart, maybe all of our hearts needs to be. God, uh, we just pray Your will would be done. God, show us how we can further that, how we can accomplish that, how we can keep from hindering that in any way. Pray in faith. And whenever you ask for in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. 
It's ridiculous to pray not believing God will fulfill. God is a powerful God, a faithful God, an almighty God. And when we pray to him, we need to pray believing that he is all of those things. It's easy to lose sight of those things day by day because we let the circumstances of life in this world overwhelm us and many times defeat us and certainly distract us. And the reality is we lose sight of the, of the, of the God we worship in all of his power and strength and might. Pray in faith. God doesn't grant requests if we don't pray in faith. You know, we can be zealous, we can be, be uh, very dedicated, but if we pray without faith, God's not obligated to answer. We start this journey of life in Christ in faith, we walk in faith, we pray in faith, we live in faith, believing God for all things. It doesn't change when it comes to prayer. There's this uh, story from a drought that occurred in Cyprus, and all the people came together to pray, and they prayed earnestly that God would bring rain. They prayed a long time with great zeal, but not one person brought an umbrella. Do we pray that way? Do we pray without faith, not believing God? Pray thankfully. This is another huge area that we need to always approach the throne of grace with thanksgiving and praise for what he's done. Understand, uh, God expects us to be thankful. He desires a thankful heart in us. Prayer and thanksgiving are, are almost uh, uniquely joined together. The scripture says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Pray with thanks. The, the, the life that's filled with thanksgiving is the richest place for godly prayer. Look at Jesus' life. I just want to give you three examples. Uh, when he was sharing the Lord's Supper with his disciples, he said this, and he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you, Matthew 26, 27. When he fed the 5,000, it says, and he directed the crowds to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. In John eleven forty one, it says here, as he was raising Lazarus from the dead, so they took away the stone, and he lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you. I thank you that you've heard me. This is thankful prayer, thankful prayer, prayer that is uh, of faith. John Stott says this, prayer is not a convenient device for imposing our will upon God or for bending his will to ours, but a prescribed way by God of subordinating our will to his. It is by prayer that we seek God's will, embrace it and align ourselves with it. Every true prayer is a variation on the theme, your will be done. Our master taught us to pray, your will be done. And he gave us the supreme example in the Garden of Gethsemane to seek nothing but the will of God. You know, as we close today, I just want to encourage us to, when we come to God next time and, and in the future that we examine our hearts and lives, are we free of bitterness and resentment toward anyone? 
Do we have any sins in our lives that are unconfessed? Have we a, a, a marriage that's growing and blessing and, and enriching husband and wife? Are, are we coming with some sish, sinful fleshly desire? Ask ourselves that question. Come praying for the will of God. God, I want nothing but your will. Your will is what? It's good. It's acceptable. It's perfect. God, I, I want your will. God, I want to exalt and honor Christ. I, I want to lift his name high that his kingdom, his agenda, his purpose for coming might be advanced in this world and people, fruit, spiritual fruit would come as a result of it. And, and, and God, I pray in the power of the Spirit, the Spirit, Lord, uh, give me understanding, give me insight, give me direction to pray as I ought, not for the things I want, but for what you want. God, and give me great faith to pray, believing that whatever it is in this situation that you want, I will believe you for it. What I'm asking, I will believe you will respond if it's in your will, in your son's name, and in the power of the Spirit. I pray believing your character and your trustworthiness. And I pray, pray with gratitude, God. I, I pray looking back on my own life and all the ways you've touched me, blessed me, encouraged me, strengthened me. You know, there's an old song that says, count your blessings, name them one by one. And when we sing that, we're really thinking of the person next to us instead of ourselves. <laughs> we need to remember the ways God has blessed us and honored us in these things. Let's pray. God, we just guide our hearts and minds in this way. Lord, we want to honor you in our prayer. We want to do your will uh, by praying for your will in obedience, in a heart and life that's clean before our holy God. Father, we just pray that. We pray that your name would be lifted high, that the, the work Jesus came to do would be extended and, and advanced through our lives, our prayer, our ministries, God, that, that the Spirit would lead and empower us in every way. And God, fill us with faith to believe you and fill us with thanksgiving that you're a God who answers a God who's near, a God who loves us, a God who's compassionate and merciful. And God, you just want to share the blessing you've poured out in our lives with all those around us. To that end, we give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name.